Hello, and welcome to the Interintellect Hostcast. My name is Linus Liu. The Interintellect hosts some of the most interesting conversations on the internet. We have dozens of intimate salons and events every week where curious thinkers from all over the world gather to talk about a wide range of topics, from philosophy to technology to literature. Check out all of our salons and join our growing community at interintellect.com. In this episode, we have Visa Khan Virasamy, better known as Visa on Twitter, returning on the podcast to talk about his new book, Introspect. We chat about the book's origins, the common barriers to introspection, creating a dynamic self-image, overcoming cringe, and much more. And without further ado, my conversation with Visa. Hey Visa, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Hey, Linus. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So wanted to have get you back on the podcast, actually, because I think you I believe you were our first guest ever. Um, nice. I wanted to get yes. you back on right now, because as of today's recording, at least your Twitter page says that you are 99.7% done with your new yes. book, Introspect. So to, just Pretty to get much. started, for those uninitiated with your Twitter can you tell us a little bit more about what your book is about? What my book is about? Well, so it's been on a bit of a journey. So when I first started it, um, I think I wanted it to be sort of a guide to figuring yourself out. So the origin story of it is actually, I was interested in the phenomenon of boredom. And I was wondering, why, are we, why do we get bored at all? Like the world is so much in the world to do so much going on. And what, what is the experience of boredom? Where does it come from? And so I, I kind of studied it and I found that, you know, there's like four reasons that contribute to the experience of boredom, right? One is people are tired. They're, another one is that they're overwhelmed. Another one is that they're kind of perfectionist, meaning like they, they, you know, nothing seems good enough. And then the last one is that they have unclear utility values. And what I mean by that is that they don't quite have a sense of what, something means to them they don't quite know what's important to them what they want and i found that you know for the first three things there are like books written you know so for like rest there's books about sleep and and you know just relax like tuning out cutting off and for you know um, clutter there's books about decluttering Marie Kondo, all those things and for like perfectionism there's stuff about satisfying paradox of choice that kind of book but for defining your utility values, for kind of knowing, figuring out what you want, I, I couldn't really find anything that I've, I felt was doing a good job of that. And so I initially started writing Introspect, trying to answer the question of how do you define your utility values? How do you define what's important to you? And you know, I looked up everything I could find about it. I wrote what I could about it. And the funny thing is, as I, as I went along that journey, I found it. I found like, so I had this whole stash of like questions and answers and everything, but I, I, it didn't feel right. It felt like something was off. And where I'm at with that right now is that I think it's actually kind of the wrong question. I think what people want is not something outside of themselves that they have to seek and kind of go and, well, well you, can, you can get in, there are multiple ways of talking about this, but uh, how I'm framing it right now is it's, like what you want is, I believe it's already inside you. It's, it's, it's almost from your heart. It's from your feelings, your emotions, right? And what happens, I think, is that people grow up and are taught to suppress their, their emotions, their feelings. 
And so, so like, you know, children very often know what they want. They know what they want to eat. They know what they don't want to eat. They know what they know how they want to spend their time. They know what they want to play with. And then, but we kind of get inside their heads. And you know, this is part of culture and, and socialization, right? Just going to school and, and having friends and your friends want different things maybe. And, and it's just by the time we get to adulthood, I think a lot of people get very, they have a lot of conflicting signals about what they want and what they care about. And so it just becomes kind of a mess and people suppress themselves to avoid getting into trouble or you know they might have gotten into trouble for something at some point in their life pretty young usually and then from then on there's like a blocker there that kind of that they might not consciously be aware of and then they've just and so there's all this confusion and then you so so introspect i would say is about um figuring out how to unblock yourself sort of so it's figuring out how to uh, so there's a few different frames that i use one is undoing self-dehumanization which is kind of you know so to say that something is dehumanizing sounds a bit dramatic but I, I think you know to function in society we have to kind of suppress ourselves a little bit and and doing that uh, figuring out how to do that well as in how to manage that that tension between suppressing like your impulses and instincts versus uh, expressing them like there's a challenge there that's one way of looking at it and there's just like multiple ways you know it's like this everyone so we all live in stories, right? So we have our personal narratives. We, we're born in the middle of a bunch of stories. What, you know, what's your nationality? What's your religion? What's life about? What's it all for? Where are you going? What are you doing? And I think a lot of people don't investigate those questions, what, what that story very well. So there's, so there's some story in your head and it's kind of messy and clunky and vague. And so one way I think about it is that introspect is about inner narrative troubleshooting. So just finding out what your story is, like articulating it and then investigating it and kind of fiddling with it and seeing whether it fits, whether it makes sense. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way I describe it is that it's about dismantling your inner authoritarian tyrant. So there's a lot of people have some voice in their head that says, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, you know, I have these problems. I have, you know, just I can't do this. I can't do that. And uh, I have to do things a certain way. You know, I, I'm not, I want to write, but I'm not an author and I don't have experience. And this is all these things that's very, you know, this voice that some people have that is, that's just kind of um, controlling them, right? So people, so you could frame this whole thing in terms, of, in terms of control. So people feel a lack of control in their lives and they, they might experience a sense of control by sort of, um, you know, almost being like a taskmaster inside their own head. And that can be unhealthy. So it's about that as well. And yeah, so I mean, to, to really, so that was a kind of long-winded circling around. And like the most elegant, simple way I could put it is like, it's about earning your own self-trust, your own self-respect. And you could even say it's about learning to love yourself. But like, I don't, I don't really open with those sentences or phrases because I think, um, you know, so like self-love, for example, I think it's a very loaded phrase and people have a lot of assumptions and connotations associated with it that might make them averse to, you know, hearing it, or if they hear it, they they kind of like, yeah, 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 I've heard that stuff before, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I try to I try to approach it in a way that feels fresh and and interesting. And yeah, you know, so <laughs> I wish I could have answered your question more more kind of elegantly and quickly. I feel like it's one of those things where after I publish the book and I have multiple conversations with it, I'll probably come to a more elegant formulation. But that's the you know current messy state of what the book is. Yeah, no, that, that, that's the organic story that's unfiltered. And mm -hmm. you know, this is this can be your first first kind of run through of how to describe. Yeah, uh, thank that, you that so narrative. much. It's actually very helpful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course.
So lots of really interesting threads to pull there. And of course, I, I haven't read the book, but you no, know, I've mm -hmm. seen kind of your description on Gun Road. So was able to prepare a few questions just based off of that. No, nice. I think the, the first thing that I wanted to just know, I, I think your your point about self-love is actually really mm -hmm. interesting because I, I do like really see how you know self-love is actually a prerequisite to actually taking yourself seriously, having self-respect. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. So I can see that that connection. Um, in terms of you know, my own curiosity about what are the blockers that people you know bump into when mm -hmm. you know they're either sleepwalking through life or they're just unclear about what they want. I can see things like you know, mimetic desire being a really strong uh, factor here that you know, people just want what other people want. You know, it's the clearest thing that they actually have rather than introspecting and looking within themselves. It's much easier to just look around you and see what the people around you are doing and just base, off, base your decision-making on what you see. And then there's the other existentialist kind of viewpoint on it, where creating your own meaning is just such a tasking, you know, taxing thing to try and do, especially if um, if you believe in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you know, you're not that at that point yet where self-actualization is your top priority, it's just mm -hmm. you know, too much work to actually conduct introspection. Uh, yeah. But in, in your eyes, you know, maybe your audience isn't you know, people who are trying to make ends neat or people who are content with just you know, playing the rat race. Uh, but yeah. in terms of kind of who you're trying to talk to, kind of what mm -hmm. do you feel like, and I'm assuming you address this in the book, but kind of where are the kind of big reasons in which your book can make a marginal difference in kind of helping unblock yeah. So, I mean, I guess, first of all, I would say that, uh, you know, I'm writing this book for a younger version of myself. And I wouldn't say that I'm a very uh, common kind of person. In, and so, so I, I do, um, you know, so like, like you described, some people, when they hear about the amount of work that goes into it, they kind of get put off. They don't really, they're like, what, what the hell? There's just so much stuff to do. But I don't think that was my issue for me growing up. I think I knew that there was a lot of work. I wanted to do it, but it just seemed chaotic and overwhelming. And I wish someone would help me kind of walk through that stuff. So for starters, I would say that the, that my book is meant for people who do want to do the work. You know, so I'm not really going to try and force or forcefully try to push someone to do it if they don't want to do it. So I'm, I'm kind of appealing to the people who already want to do it. But even, even then, um, there are some clear things that, you know, amongst the people who say they want to do it, they still have blockers. So people are internally conflicted all the time. So they have multiple, you know, different desires and in that pull them in different directions. So even, even amongst the people who say, yes, I want to introspect and then they start and then they give up along the way because they're like, oh, it's too difficult or it's too overwhelming or whatever. And here's the thing that I was kind of surprised by. I found that recurringly, so, I, so I, I've plotted out, so the, the structure of the book follows a hero's journey as you've described. And it's like um, the, the biggest section of the book is actually, uh, I call it the sword and thread, which is kind of, just kind of the training montage phase where you like, like learn the skills. And the thing that I think trips up a lot of people that I find surprising is how often... Um, 
so the, the 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 phrase that I use is frivolous, right? Like how often people are averse to doing things that feel frivolous because like so like just silly, pointless, small, childish kind of like what what would that do? You know. So like one of the things I advise people that I think is very very powerful is make a list of all of your favorite movies, your favorite TV shows, your favorite books, right? Like literally write write down every single one of them that you can remember. Write down you know your favorite characters. Write down the favorite moments in those films and, and TV shows and stuff. Like when, you know, when you, like who's your favorite like Game of Thrones character, you know, and then like, and then why? Like, what is it that you like about them? What is it that draws you to them? What what decisions did they make that you felt, you know, an affinity to, you felt very com- compelled? And, and the thing is, different people have different answers to this, which is very interesting, right? And I, I, I say that um, these preferences, they reveal... Uh, or they they give you clues as to what your your innermost values are, like what you value, what you think is important, what your principles are, and but the process of doing that to some people it just seems kind of silly. Like you know, like oh, I've got so much work to do, you know, I've got all this stuff, I got like deadlines to meet. Like wh- why am I sitting down, you know, like doing this this like TV fan kind of silly thing? And there's there's, there's this sort of thing in a in a lot of different domains. It's like a you know, um, someone feels like they don't trust themselves let's say right like they feel like I, I can't make any good decisions for myself and so the way to get better at anything right is to start very very small and to just practice it and so you know like a thing that might but but because they feel that the problem is big you know like i don't know how to decide um you know what major i should do in in, in college university whatever or i don't know what career i want and i and i believe that you know, you should, if you can't make big decisions, that's fine, right? Like you should then ask yourself, how do I make small decisions? And it's things, there are people who freeze up when they're like, what should I have for dinner, right? Or like, what should I, you know, and and my recommendation, like what should I watch on, on TV or that sort of thing. And my recommendation is that you should practice making very, very small decisions. And like, I, I recommend like go and, and even just be, be kind of random about it. Like try a different candy, try a different drink, something that you, you don't, like, you know, like when you're ordering dinner, dinner, tonight or tomorrow try a different dish than you normally try even though even if you don't like it try it see how you feel about it articulate your feelings to yourself oh i didn't like this because this is this turns out that i actually prefer that 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 and or maybe under these circumstances i like these things and i think some people feel that that sounds how is this going to help me with that you know it's like this small tiny tiny thing and then there's that big looming problem and yeah i think so i i describe this as kind of it's kind of a failure of project management. Like it's like, you know, and if you think of, of it as like a hero's quest, it's like, oh, there's a dragon that I need to slay. Why are you sending me on this small quest to like do some small thing first? But it's like, you need to do the small thing to build the strength and confidence and self-awareness to progressively do bigger and bigger things. And it's, it's an emotional challenge. It's an emotional blocker. It's like, you know, it's just people feel like, oh, I'm so behind. I'm so inadequate. I'm so unworthy. And I need to catch up. It's a common phrase I hear people say. It's like, I need to, you know, I, I need to, I'm, I'm behind, right? I need to like double, double, go double time, move faster, do more. And the irony is that it, in that rush, if you're not like stable, if you're not steady, then you're going to slip up and you're going to crash and you're going to like, just whatever the domain is, right? It's going to be, it's, it's just going to like fall apart. And so there's really this, this irony in uh, how, you know, um, so the Blue Origin, the rocket company, their motto is gratitim ferocitor, which is which means, like basically take small steps but ferociously, right? Like just do little things but do a lot of it and do it like intensely, and I think that really does apply to to every domain in and and um, it's just that 
we aren't very most people aren't very good at like celebrating the small things and the small wins because it sounds small it seems but it's really you know and and this this applies fractally in almost all domains so i would say that's the big thing like people struggle with frivolousness um curiosity you know so like uh one one phrase that i like you know i say if you imagine that the problem is that you have an authoritarian tyrant in your head who's kind of telling you what to do and pushing you around then like let's investigate tyranny and like what, what is it that tyrants you know like like literal tyrants and, and dictators and stuff what do they hate you know they hate artists they hate um comedians and they hate journalists like investigative real investigative journalists and so what do those people do you know art, artists kind of they they, they create emotional landscapes and resonance and they're willing to be they're willing to be frivolous they're willing to be like oh look at this flower it's so pretty right and that does not seem like how am i gonna fight tyranny by talking about flowers right it seems so disjointed but it's really you know the choosing to care about flowers or music or whatever that is what that is it's it's a it, you're contradicting the authoritarian tyrants frame and what authoritarian tyrants usually do is they have a very utilitarian mindset which means like and you know i have i have a compassionate view towards like authoritarianism like especially i find that when you think about how we ourselves you know especially when we feel like uh you know we are we are overwhelmed we are we're losing in some way we're not in control like things are going out of hand then you just feel this urge to cling on to some kind of security some kind of like what what control do you have and then you feel like oh i need to make more money i need to work out and get fit so that i look attractive to people like it's just this very needy um i need these these very concrete very uh and uh, mimetic desire stuff as well you know I, I need to to keep up with my friends i need to do all these things um because those are the values that are widely accepted or those are the things that will kind of get me a hit in some in some mainstream way and yeah so so i'm going in circles but like um so to to dismantle your inner tyrant you need to kind of free your inner artist your inner comedian and your inner journalist so you need to ask lots of questions you need to be and think about think about curiosity and, and like children and you know like so children tend to be naturally curious they ask a lot of questions but it's inconvenient right <laughs> it's annoying it, uh, just imagine you're a parent or you're a teacher or you're a big brother or whatever and you just have this kid just asking lots of questions and it's ah like you know like, like i can't answer you like figure out yourself whatever like you know like focus on your homework right that kind of thing and in the short run, it can be kind of understandable why somebody might do something like that. Uh, you know, it's, they're tired, they're desperate, they're whatever. But in the long run, you know, um, I love the anecdote of how if you take Apple, for example, like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, when they were when they were young, they used they were pranksters. You know, they were fooling around, goofing off. They love to make do pranks. And one of the things they did was they were like freaking um, telephone. Uh, uh, telephone infrastructure so they had this thing called the blue boxes which they made which is it would kind of like emulate the the beeping sounds that would it's like they are hacking the telephone systems and they did it to do prank calls like you can you can kind of spoof the i don't know precisely how it works but it's like a a thing that you can you can build yourself and then you can hijack telephone infrastructure and crank call somebody else for free it's technically illegal so they were technically committing crimes but um steve jobs said that if it weren't for blue boxes, there wouldn't have been Apple because they were so they were they were fooling around doing what they thought was fun, and they had this experience that convinced them that what they did in their garage or what they were doing could allow them to have an impact at, at a very large scale. But the mistake that I think people do is people make is that they work backwards from the end and they feel like oh you know 
I want to have a big impact. So what do I do to have a big impact? And they tend to, you know, it's like, what's the phrase they use? It's like fighting the last war, right? It's like trying to, instead of following their curiosity and following their taste and, and their desire and what they think is fun and interesting, they're kind of feeling this obligation to try and have a very um, productive life, right? But like, yeah, throughout the book, I, I point at examples of, of musicians, scientists, it's just people who are following their nose, following their curiosity. And that leads to value, which is the amazing thing. So it's not even like a trade-off where it's like, don't be productive, be unproductive. And then like, it's better to be unproductive than to be productive because it's, it's a false dichotomy because when you are doing things that don't seem productive, so often it's the case that that ends up leading to like unexpected breakthroughs and unexpected insight that you can't find on the beaten path. So that's really wild to me. And that's part of my motivation for writing this. I think people should um, consider that more. Um, yeah, I, I kind of that, went on for, for a bit, but... That's yeah, it. that's great. I, th- I think that kind of reminds me of, of a potential analogy that, that you might have here where you have the paradox of happiness, right? Where it's hard for, for you to actually become happy if you're trying to directly pursue happiness. I wonder if that's mm-hmm. you know, similar... Uh, a similar case with impact or you know deciding you know what you want to do or the work that you want to accomplish in your life that you know, if you try to you know do it directly and and take the most you know visible option it's probably one it's probably already been done before and two you know you lose that kind of spontaneity and authenticity and and the ability to connect dots in in unique ways that are kind of the highest leverage, the, the magnitude kind of multiplier that you know the true innovators and true artists can really find. So you know, that's a really interesting point uh, to to bring up. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's it, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think another question that I had you know, about you know introspection, like I'm curious about what types of characteristics and traits can really make for that because I think like you're saying, there's a reason why not that many people kind of do what kind of you're saying or you're arguing is probably best. Um, so it sounds like, you know, patience might be a trait that's, that might be really valuable and someone who's willing to kind of, you know, go to the sidewalk and smell the flowers. Um, it's probably someone who's, like you said, very curious. Um, these to me like feel like relatively ingrained traits that you either have or don't have. Um, I'm wondering if that, if you feel like that, you also agree with that, that some of the predispositions to really be introspective and, and play this type of long game is predetermined at some, a certain level. Or if, it, if you are talking to a kind of a younger version of yourself or a younger person who is really ambitious, but know has been trying to strive for things in a more direct manner like like what what is your kind of assessment of kind of where the where the gains you know might be that's a good question so i i would say that um i do think so yeah, I, I, I agree with, with some of what you're saying in that I believe that people are staggeringly different from each other. So it's like what works for one person may be, may be counterproductive for someone else even, right? And um, so I, I do try to make that clear in the book. And But I do think that 
um, every person, I think, or like most people, they should be able to find some way in which their mode of being, right, is is uh, so so, so the, like I I I describe my own style, and I so I'm very um, you know verbal, very literary. I like to write, I like to talk, so I I that's that's my domain. But I also think that a person who you know doesn't like to write at all and doesn't like to talk at all, like they can still find some way in which to kind of uh, adopt the principles of introspection in their own style. So like I can imagine like, you know, someone who's, let's say a dancer, right? Like, like uh, the, the, the thing that I would say to a dancer is that you, you should record yourself dancing. You know, like if you're, if you have a TikTok or, or YouTube channel, or even just for yourself, just record it on your phone and like watch yourself doing it. And the, the practice of recording yourself and watching yourself do it will teach you things about yourself that you did not even expect to learn. You did not even expect to see because, um, you know, we are all very leaky <laughs> as human beings. We reveal things about ourselves that we don't realize that we are revealing and we might not be able to see it in a moment. So you might, so if let's say you record like a short vlog every day, just, just talking to the camera or just dancing or just doing whatever. Um, and you do this maybe once a week for every week for a year right and then you, you at the end of the year you rewatch re the things you will notice huh i seemed very tense and stressed that month then, then you might ask yourself what, what, what's up with that did something happen like and and so it, it you might not be interested in kind of writing down like a long monologue about what exactly was happening but just the the it having that little bit of of kind of um inward directed attention i think will will help um it just it's helpful in all kinds of ways that you can't even anticipate. That's the exciting thing about it. You know, I don't want, I don't want people to feel that oh, you know, introspection is another like job that I have to do. You know, it's another task and another and just another thing I got to feel bad about for myself. Like no, you know, it's like life. <laughs> we feel bad enough with all kinds of shit already. It's it's really this this idea. And, and so another thing that I attach to the concept of um, inner tyrant, inner tyrant, or inner authoritarian is also. There's this internal propaganda department, right? Or the, you have an inner propagandist. And it's not necessarily evil or malicious or whatever, but it's just people have this static self. People tend to have a static self-image, which is like you just you have some idea of who you are. I do this kind of thing. I, I don't do that kind of thing. I like this sort of thing. I don't like that sort of thing. And it might be, you know, it's just, it's not very considered. It's not very, um, it's just, it's what it is. And it's not questioned much or investigated much. And it's a kind of jail, you know, you can, you can really imprison yourself in a static self-image. And so the, the recommendation is to try and have a, try and ex explore and expand into a dynamic self-image, right? And, and the thing is the self-image, the static self-image is a kind of, it's a kind of a, it's almost like your brain is trying to save, <laughs> save RAM or something. Like it just, it just takes a screenshot of you at some point in your life and it just holds on to that. But so if you take lots of screenshots over time or like just periodically, you will see the differences. So, you know, go on a, just go on a holiday or go on like a road trip or just even, even if just for a weekend, if you, if you normally spend your weekends at, at the cafe near your place, like go to a different cafe, even just like just change, change your routine a bit. And then just kind of pay attention to how you feel and, and see if, if something else comes up, if you think about different things or if, whatever. And whenever there's any kind of novelty or surprise, like make sure to note it down in some way. And it, it doesn't need to be an essay, right? It can just be like on your phone, in your notes app, like, huh, I went to this place today and I was just thinking about, you know, how I haven't done this sort of thing in a while. And it's kind of nice. Like, and, and those little kind of 
um, data points, right? They, they become clues as to what your expanded self-image might be. And then you can kind of, um, it becomes a game that you can play with yourself. Like you're trying to figure out what is it about yourself that you don't know. And, um, you know, where does, where are the gaps in your, in your static self-image and where's like the opportunity, where's the excitement, where's the, and when you, when you frame it right in that way, then it's like life becomes fun. Life becomes like, even though, you know, you have bills to pay and you have obligations and just everyone has all kinds of shit going on. But like, you know, if you can frame it in a way that there's like some curiosity, some excitement, like what's, what's going to happen there? You know, what's, what am I going to learn there? You know, like how, how am I bigger and wilder than my image of myself i think it's a question that i want people to carry with themselves and and then that that becomes becomes a bit of an adventure of an adventure and yeah i, I don't think you i i i'm biased towards uh you know so I, I read a lot of books when i was a kid and i'm just very literary i guess and so i i do think that there is a deliciousness to to like write like spending an hour just writing your feelings and, and experiences and thoughts and i, I enjoy that but uh, you know, I'm sure that different people can find different ways to to enjoy getting to know themselves. I think that's that's what I want to say. Yeah, I think it's about opening yourself up to the possibility of being surprised um, by yourself. And I also think that perhaps for a lot of people, it isn't necessarily even about kind of self-hatred or a lack of self-respect in order to have that curiosity to have that openness. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost more about like self-cringe. You, know, mm. you know, people really hate, um, you know, hearing themselves being recorded or seeing themselves you know, move in front of a camera, that there is a type of embarrassment, um, that they're not just not comfortable actually seeing, like you said, their, their static self-image being imploded. Um, and it's not even about that they just don't like what they see. It's just uncomfortable to imagine that their, their own idea of themselves like, isn't actually what other people see and they feel embarrassed by it. Um, and I think probably you know, there are some people who just kind of don't have that embarrassment. God bless them, right? Um, people who just can, can just go out there and do things and you know, you know, start exploring. But I think for a lar large amount of people, there's this initial overcoming of that cringe. Uh, there's a process of acceptance. Um, so, so is that kind of what you consider as part of the, that hero's journey? Uh, where yes, perhaps yes, the hero, yeah. you know, that's when the hero accepts that you know, he needs to you know, venture out, that you know, mm. he cannot stay within his kind of home village, that there is this quest yeah. to, 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 to go on. And so, mm -hmm. so for the person you know, making this trade-off between you know, staying in the safe village versus, you know, going out into the unknown, kind of, how, how would, how do you explain to them, you know, this trade-off, this decision point, you know? To... That's great. Um, mm, I, so the primary domain that I, I explore this is just in the, in the domain of mistakes, right? And, and the, the concept of a mistake, you know, so uh, there's this great bass player and teacher, musician, his name is Victor Wooten. And he changed my life from a video. I mean, so the video is pretty old, but I watched the video a couple, like in 2019 and it completely changed my, my approach to thinking about mistakes. And, you know, it's really amazing to fully contemplate because this is just a music teacher talking about music. But I think he permanently reduced my stress levels, my anxiety, my just, it made me muscular tension in my shoulders, neck, everything. It just, I, I feel, I feel better. 
having witnessed him just talk about music and how he did it was, um, you know, he just describes mistakes as context dependent, you know, and uh, so I, I don't know if I can just describe it well off the cuff, but it's like, you know, so when you, when you make a mistake in when you're playing music, so let's say you're, there's, there's a backing track, right? And, and there's like, a, you're playing along to some song, right? So there's, there's some song that you like and you're playing a piano or guitar and you're just playing along with it. There are notes that are in the the, the scale or in the the that fit, and there are notes that don't fit, right? It sounds like a bum note. And when like so, like relatively um, less skilled musicians, beginners, amateurs, you know, semi-pro, like a lot of us, when we make a mistake, we flinch. We're like, ah, I played the wrong note. Shit, fuck, you know. And the thing is, the flinch then affects the note. It 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 kind of solidifies the mistake. You know, it's sort of like a it it makes the mistake more pronounced. Whereas what Victor can do as a professional who's really good at his craft is he almost doesn't consider the mistake a mistake. He considers the mistake as like a like a spice, you know, like a like a flourish, like a like and the th- and the th- in in the domain of music in particular. Um, so every I, I don't know how much I'm assuming the listener doesn't know about um, how music works, but <laughs> like every. In, in Western music, at least, there's like 12 notes in a in a octave. And anytime you make a mistake and you play the wrong note, on either side of that note, so if you go down half a step or you go up half a step, right? So if you imagine if you're playing a, a B, you can go down to an A sharp or you can go up to a C. And I, either way, when you, I don't know if I got that right, but anyway, when you move one key left or one key right, um, the note that sounded like a mistake sounds correct now. And the more smoothly you can go from the mistake to the correct note, if you can do it fluently, it seems intentional. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like you fucked up. It sounds like you're just doing this cool slidey thing, like it's a, like on purpose. And just, you can also imagine this in like dance. Imagine like if you're if you're dancing and then you step off the beat, you can it's if a skilled dancer will be able to kind of like like um parlay that, right? Almost like a judo like smooth in from the mistake smoothly out and some also if you go on like youtube and you search like gymnasts mistakes if you didn't know that you were watching gymnasts mistakes you might not even realize that they're making mistakes it's like they will slip up and then they will kind of like swing back into the position and you have to have like a trained eye to realize that they're making mistakes because it's like they smoothly kind of reorient their mistakes and that really blew my mind to witness it firsthand how a and and so what victor did was he would play wrong notes on purpose and he would demonstrate and he would do it with confidence i'm gonna play a wrong note now and then he plays the wrong note and he doesn't flinch at all he's like wrong note and it sounds it you're like that's there's a wrong note and then he smoothly moves into the correct note and you're like that seems intentional you know it seems and that just really blew my mind regarding um you know so even the question of cringe right the question of of uh, mistakes and whatever if you can accept that what like so so it's really the enlightened kind of galaxy brain frame it's like there are no mistakes there's only context and there's there's strong decisions and there's weak decisions within a context and you can always kind of flow into the next moment right so like uh, something that was bad in in the previous moment can be worked into the play in the next moment you know so like uh and i've seen this i'm seeing this more and more in our media i find that um our media is getting more meta. So if you've watched like Frozen 1 and Frozen 2, right, Elsa. So like in Frozen 1, uh, in Let It Go, there's a scene where Elsa is like very proud and kind of like, like stepping very confidently. And it looks, you could say that's kind of cringe. And in, in Frozen 2, she has a vision of herself doing it and you can see her cringing at herself. Like she's like, oh my God, I look so, I look so 
Like, gosh, that's embarrassing. And from the context of the viewer watching Frozen 2, having already watched Frozen 1, seeing Elsa react to her previous state, it I find it endearing. You know, it kind of makes her look more human and it makes her also seem more confident and more, um, you know, it's like she's acknowledging that what she did the first time was like, you know, like, you know she's, it's, it's, there's an awareness there and a confidence there. And I feel like that really, we can do that with almost all of our mistakes. And so when you have the feeling that everything's a work in progress, everything that is kind of uh, imperfect, uh, mis- every, every misstep is a kind of expression of your, your personality, of your choices. You know, there's, there's some people who say mistakes are like hidden intentions, you know, and uh, it, if, if you're improvising when you're playing music and you make a mistake, you can kind of work in the mistake if you repeat the mistake deliberately and it just sounds like a like just a spicy note that you choose to include and it doesn't seem disjointed. And so, so what I'm circling around is that we can get to a state where the things that we cringe at about ourselves can be a stepping stone on our journey towards becoming more fully integrated and becoming more skilled. And let me just think about any, any, any like YouTube video or any, any, any person who's trying to do anything and they're doing it badly the first time. And then if they just keep at it and then subsequently they do it well, it then becomes part of a journey, right? It becomes a, and, and you almost value seeing the, the mistakes early on because it, it makes the, the success later on even more beautiful and, and kind of impressive and stuff. And so the, the thing I encourage people to consider and to try and, and integrate is that everything that you currently cringe about cringe at about yourself right it's it's an opportunity for development and it's it's your personality you know it's who you are and it's it's not something to be ashamed of or embarrassed of i, I mean I, i'm gonna be realistic you know i'm not i'm not like some kind of super enlightened super like oh i make no mistake like everything is i accept everything perfectly no i'm not i'm not that you know i i still as I'm editing my book right now, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I was more skilled. You know, I wish, I wish this wasn't so clunky. I wish I could, you know, say everything more confidently. But uh, I look, I now look forward to seeing the difference between what I've done now and what I will do in the future. Right? I'm looking forward to, to seeing that progress. And once I'm looking forward to seeing the progress, then I can be less anxious about the present moment i think that's that's the kind of critical thing so whatever it is that's currently embarrassing um be embarrassed that's fine but see it as again so it goes back this kind of goes back to the static self-image thing and the you know like judging yourself in a single moment sort of thing like no one moment needs to define you entirely like something that so you could totally embarrass yourself today but then you know you could tell a story about it next year that that re- demonstrates that you learned from it and that you are you know and you could be embarrassed about it for like 6 months right you could be ashamed and hiding in your house <laughs> and that's fine you know this this tells you something about yourself as well but like as long as it's still alive there's still opportunity to you know eventually even if it's slowly kind of cultivate the courage to be like yeah that's 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 what happened <laughs> you know and I, I accept it and i'm gonna try to to kind of do better do different and what i found is that flinching and being ashamed and being embarrassed of the mistake um really kind of traps you you know so and with my own personal musical development like so i started playing guitar when i was about 14 maybe self-taught like just kind of from the internet and and improvising and stuff 
And like, uh, so I learned a bunch of basic songs, learned a bunch of basic stuff. And I, I feel like I reached a plateau. Like I, I, I developed to a point where I could do everything that I could do, but I couldn't seem to get better than that. And after I watched Victor Wooten and a bunch of other musicians, this is guy Kenny Werner. He says he's, he's the same thing. It's amazing how many skilled professionals all have the same ideas. You know, even um, Daniel Dennett, who's like a philosopher, psychologist sort of guy, he says you should become a connoisseur of your mistakes. You know, like understand your mistakes as thoroughly as you can. And my my remix of that is like a, a sufficiently ad- thorough understanding of your mistakes is indistinguishable from mastery. You know, like if you really, really understand precisely why you made that mistake and how you made that mistake and what it is it, what it is that you don't quite like about that mistake and what you would do differently. Like as you get into more and more detail about the mistake and you study it, you'd be like, oh, so I'm going to choose to do differently than that. And then, yeah. So I think, um, what was his name? Edison, he had a quote that's like, I haven't failed a thousand times. I've figured out a thousand ways that don't work. Like, and that's true. It's really every everything that doesn't work if you are able to learn from it and you're able to kind of um, work, like kind of feel your way around it, then you, you expand your full set of knowledge. But the trick, the tricky thing is you have to be willing to experience the mistake. And when I was stuck in my music development, my music learning, that was when every time I made a mistake, I'd be like, ah, fuck, I made a mistake. Ah, cringe. Ah, shit. Ah, you know, like, like I, I flinched at the mistake. And when you flinch at the mistake, you can't learn from it because you're kind of trying to like stop the tape and, and, and whatever. But like, you know, so one of the things Wooten points out is like play the wrong note and really listen to how it feels. And then you play the note next to it and you listen to how that feels. And then you play the pre like when you really feel the mistake and you kind of um, expand your awareness and really feel it um, that there's a freedom that opens up in that, but it's, you know, it can be kind of hard when uh, it's, it's one of those things where if, if you're in a very collapsed, uh, kind of very small frame of awareness, and you're like, oh, I made a mistake. It's so horrible. Oh my God, everyone's going to laugh at me, blah, blah, blah. And, and that makes it difficult to, to experience the whole thing. But yeah, you know, see, see the big, try, try to see the bigger picture. Um, if you record your mistakes, so again, if you're recording your practice when you're playing music, you can then watch the thing. You can watch it repeatedly until it gets familiar and then you can try and replicate it and see how that feels. And this just kind of uh, plays out in many, many different domains. I've noticed it with my YouTube videos as well. So I make these YouTube videos where I'm just talking to the camera and re-watching my older YouTube videos, I think has made me a better speaker. So when I first started making these videos, I felt like my speech was very stilted very forced like i just felt very artificial because i'm used to writing and i'm not used to speaking and just watching those videos i think over time i'm like oh i noticed that i do these things i noticed that i i tend to repeat myself i tend to a bunch of other things like that and i don't know if i'll ever completely you know erase all of my tics but i I have a path for doing that if i want and but it's almost like once you've accepted that you are on a journey and and things change as you go, it just, it just becomes more pleasant. You know, it, it, there's less anxiousness, there's less uh, stress, which is great. Yeah, I think what it sounds like to me is uh, reorientation from being goal-oriented to process-oriented. That, mm. you know, uh, cringe and embarrassment um, that comes from making mistakes is comes from not hitting your goals. Uh, a failure, uh, a incongruity between expectation and reality uh, but like you're saying if it's about the process it's a, if it's about recontextualizing things then you can you can move the goalposts depending on 
on yeah, reality. You, you yeah. really can. I, th- I think that's, that's an excellent thing you just said. I think um, a lot of people feel that moving the goalposts is cheating, <laughs> but, you know, um, that's, so that's a kind of a, a, a function of playing in, in finite games or playing in fixed frames, right? Like, you, 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 so studying for standardized tests, that sort of thing. Like, oh, you know, cheat, you, you can't cheat. Like, cheating is bad. But like, in the real world, like, there's, like, cheating, like, you know, as long as you're not doing anything, like, illegal unethical or whatever like you're it's perfectly legal to move your own goalposts and be like you know like i tried to do this thing but it's not working out so i'm going to change it and do something else like you can really you can do that a lot of people feel that they can't they feel that they you know if they they committed to something they have to stick with it like you can renegotiate a lot of things with yourself and that's not obvious to a lot of people and you said something else uh, moving the goalposts yeah, um, and reconceptualizing. I think that you know one of the one of the good talking points in my book is that almost every problem that persists, right? If you have a problem that's been bugging you for like a couple of years or more, right, and you haven't solved it yet, it's almost definitely the case that you're framing the problem wrongly. Like you're focused on the wrong part of the problem, and because if you framed it correctly, you would be making progress on it, and then you'd solve it. So we always end up. You know, at any moment in time you wake up in life and like you have, everybody has a bunch of problems, right? Like you have, you have the boundaries of your ability, the boundaries of, of what you're able to accomplish and, you know, things that you're falling short at, blah, blah, blah. And we don't feel like we have problems in the domains that we understand very well. But the issue is that, um, so once we've solved all the, all the problems in the domains that we do understand, we end up eventually brushing up against the constraints of the problems that we don't really understand. And the problem is, the problem with problems, like this is the meta problem. <laughs> the problem with problems is that we think we understand them when we don't. Because if we did understand them, we would solve them. You know? So it's, like, it's, it's, very, it's, um, it's very humbling to kind of sit down and like reflect on, uh, just try and make a list of what you think your problems are in life at the moment. So you might be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not sleeping well. You know, I'm, not, uh, I'm just saying my own problems now. <laughs> you know, I'm not sleeping well. I haven't finished my book yet. You know, just, just make a list of those things. And then you try and sit, and sit with it and be like, okay, if I haven't solved this yet, like what is, you know, what am I missing? Like, what do I not understand about the thing? And just asking those questions, I think expands uh, your, 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 it's like, so again, it's like previously you're zoomed into way too close onto the problem. And like, when you, when you say, what if I don't understand? What if I'm, I'm mistaken? What if I'm kind of focused on the wrong part? That, that gets you to step back and see the bigger picture. And then you'd be like, oh, so in my case, um, I used to think that my sleep problems were, you know, and the, the wild thing is if you Google for advice on solving any problem, like 95% of the advice will always be very tactical, which is like, so if, if you have problems with sleep, they'll say, don't bring your phone to bed, don't drink coffee, you know, don't uh, get blackout blind so that it's dark, all of those things. But that's not really my problem. You know, I, and I, I do all those things, but I was still struggling with it. And I realized that the, the real root of the problem for me was really my relationship with rest, my concept of rest, which was that you know, it would be 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m., and I would still be at my computer because I felt like I, I haven't done enough today. Right? I, I don't deserve to rest. And like, what is that? <laughs> what is that about? Like, what's, where did I inherit that idea from that I have to do some amount of work each day before I'm, I deserve to rest? Right? If, I, if, I, if I go to bed, I'll lie in bed and kind of just feel kind of anxious, like feel anxious, feel edgy because I'm like, oh, I didn't do, get enough done today. And 
that's harder to give simple advice on because it's really about your concept of, of the thing. And you need to reconceptualize your idea of what, you know, you might even ask yourself, like, what does it mean to deserve something? And then you're like, oh shit, I got to go back to like my childhood stuff and then whatnot. But that's, that's where I think really the, the magic um, sauce of, of uh, so I, I, I jokingly kind of called it, I playfully call it the jewel of life. The jewel of life is really this, this sense of, of freedom and, and openness to, to renegotiate, to renegotiate your relationships with things and to, to change how you feel about things and, and to let go of old obligations, old um, encumbrances. And, it, and to go back to the hero's journey, right? Like, so what is the hero's journey? You know, very often it's, it's uh, so how I describe it in terms of the psyche is that you could think of it as, as just, you know, so when, when, when the child, when a child is born, right? So before, it, before it's born, it's in the womb and the womb is this, I call it a sanitized bubble reality, right? So you just, you live in a, in a bubble that's safe, comfortable, and then you're born and you like come out into the world and holy shit, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's bright, it's hot, it's cold, it's, you know, it's just chaotic and it's overwhelming and you cry and whatever. And then eventually you kind of adjust and then you figure out, um, okay, you know, this is mom, this is dad and they feed me and if I cry, blah, blah, blah. And then, so now the family unit becomes the new bubble, right? The new village, so as to speak, right? It's just, you, you do what your mom wants, you do what you, you do, you respond to your parents emotionally and then they take care of you and everything's warm and nice. And then you grow a bit older and you're like, oh, you know, you have, you might have a wider community, you might have friends. And then that becomes, so now, now the family becomes a bubble that you want to leave. You don't want to be like, just kind of attached to your parents the whole time. And there's this, there's a desire for sovereignty within the child. Like this seems to be innate. Like at some point the child's like, I don't want to live with, I don't want to just stay with my parents all the time. I want to go out and see the world. I want to go and make friends. I want to play. I want to learn. I want to see what's going on. And so they, they go out and then they make a friend and then maybe, you know, they, they have a friend who like bullies them or betrays them or something and breaks their heart in some way. Then that's pain. That's a monster. You know, it's, it's, it's really that, that, you know, sometimes people think of the hero's journey as something like, oh, so dramatic, like Frodo or Harry Potter, like it has to be saving the world and stuff. But like, that's really, it's just those, those dramatic um, ideas. It's just, it's just uh, an emotional reality, right? And so like a teenage heartbreak, it feels like the world's collapsing, right? It really just, it really does emotionally. And you, you, you continue to kind of go into, each time you, you find the limits of the, the sanitized bubble that you're living in conceptually, you, you then eventually ask yourself, even, so it's comfortable for a while, it feels pretty good. And then eventually, maybe there's some problem inside that you can't solve from inside it. So you got to go out and then find something new. Or maybe you just want to go, you just want to go and see what's beyond the, re- the bubble that you're living in. And yeah, you know, it's, it's the, the sense of at a meta level, feeling like you're, you have the, the skills or the, the courage and, and the support, like knowing that, having exited multiple bubbles in a row, like so womb, family, childhood friends, peers, right? And then if, if eventually you, you you go further out. Um, having done that a few times, uh, you feel confident that you can do it again, even though you don't know what's going what's gonna to be a hit. You have like, okay, I, I have to figure out these things. I have to ask these questions. I have to try these things out. And then, and, you know, I trust myself to, to, to figure out. And once you have that, that kind of, trust um everything this so you still there are still struggles you know it's not like it becomes easy but you don't have that that meta anxiety about like oh no i'm struggling and it means i'm a horrible person like no you're struggling and and that's just how it is uh, i wanted to say something else uh 
to do with with the struggle oh, oh yeah so another thing is that it's really about about coming home to yourself and i think very often so earlier i described like leaving the bubble as a sort of uh out of a, a sense of adventure and a sense of like wanting to explore but there's also a kind of you know like uh, i think a common thing i hear from people is that they feel that they messed something up you know it's like they upset their family members or they upset their friends or they disappointed somebody you know something again like in frozen right like uh, elsa accidentally like hits her sister with with the ice bolt and then she fucked up she 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 kind of screwed up her but it's just a, it's an innocent mistake right? it's an accident but she feels responsible for it and she feels guilty and so she kind of shuts herself off to not not make that mistake again and then but she has to that doesn't work that's not sustainable you can't you can't imprison yourself for security, right? And it's what a lot of people do. They kind of they they've experienced some pain and some, and you know they've caused they've caused some suffering maybe, and they feel guilt and shame and all those things, and then they kind of enconce themselves right in this in this security. Like keep they keep themselves small to be safe and secure, but then then they basically imprison themselves, and then their heart kind of like emotionally they just feel trapped and and that's I, I think that's you know there's some correlation there with depression there's some correlation there with just just feeling trapped in some way and yeah i think these are things that people should really think through like the, the emotional reality of it so that they can you know just evaluate where where you're at you know what's going on how you're feeling and and like what's what 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 is the situation you're in? You know where are you at in your journey currently? And yeah, yeah, I think that uh, you know, we've we've touched on identity a little bit, um, but I think that you know identity as as defined not just by kind of the traits that you inhabit, but also kind of to use your analogy, kind of the bubble that you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and that's I think that's something that holds a lot of people back is that they have this static identity and therefore they mm. correlate that with the particular bubble that they belong to. And that yeah. you know, keeps them from exploring other bubbles that they might expand into right. or, yeah. or explore. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a more difficult process, I think, to, mm-hmm. to imagine your identity as all the different nodes that you might travel to rather than a single place. Uh, yeah and and to view identity as a process of becoming mm-hmm. potential branches along right. the route rather than just kind of kind of where you're at so so i think you know, it is like you said about you know making it creating a dynamic self-image mm-hmm. like i think whether it's not whether or not it's in your personal experience or just kind of more generalizable advice that you think might be actually generalizable like, mm-hmm. what is that process like in terms of actually holding a dynamic self-image, a dynamic identity? Like, what, what, what is like, how do you articulate that to yourself? Um, like, is it just like jumping a meta level in terms of your the the descriptors of kind of how you would describe yourself? Like, or is there? Do you think there's a categorical difference that people have to get over, or is it you know, actually just like mm. kind of letting go of kind of the particulars and being more comfortable with kind of the, the generalities about. Yeah. I, I would try are. and, I would try and keep it simple. I, I think we can get, so we can get really kind of uh, into very complex, uh, 
you know, concepts and concept, complex conceptual territory about, oh, what exactly is identity? What exactly is all those things? But how I, I, I choose to kind of, uh, how, what I would tell my nephews even, right? And they're like, you know, 12, 13, like, you know, they, they're not really looking for an elaborate philosophical musing about the nature of, of, of concepts. Um, it's, it's really, I think what I would say is, um, your reality is already dynamic. You are already you are already dynamic. It's just that because you have this static uh, frame, right? It's like it's like so. Just as, so, the analogy I would use is like you take your phone camera or something, right? And then you you point your camera at something, and like everything that's inside the frame is inside whatever it is that you're taking a photograph of. But you can move the camera around, right? And then you can you can like uh, see, you know, you can zoom in, you can zoom out, you can you can change the focus, you can walk around the subject, and so if and so I highly highly recommend journaling, like if, even literally just writing down one sentence every day about how your day went, like oh today I did this thing, today I, I you know a friend I saw this thing and it surprised me, you know I I went to this place today, you know I went like. Um, people systematically underestimate their own complexity and they systematically under, I mean, so we all underestimate the complexity of everything all the time, you know? So we, we really, our brains are designed to keep things simple so that simple narratives are easier to understand, easier to navigate. And there, there's a, there's a trade-off there where it's simple, but it's fragile and it's simple, but it's boring. It's simple, but it's you know, all those things. And um, yeah, so I would really kind of remind people that, you are already dynamic. I think that that's something that some people, they, they might hear it like, huh? I'm like, no, just describe, you know, describe what you did last year, right? Just how was your 2021? And like people will list out, oh, you know, uh, my birth, for my birthday, I did this. For my something else, I did that. You know, with work, I have like this thing. But they don't, you know, so what I do is I I have a tweet every month. <laughs> I enjoy the Twitter um kind of character limit. It's like you can put four pictures and you can put 280 characters. It's a very nice constraint for like summing up a month. And so I, I can, I can't actually tell you right now all of the things that happened last year for me, but I can go and look at that thread and I can kind of rejog. In fact, I'm going to, let me, let me do it right now because it'll take a couple of seconds. Uh, I will surprise myself even right now by seeing what happened in the year that I wouldn't recall if I hadn't hadn't written it down, you know. So let me do uh, June, twenty twenty one. Let's go. All right. Um, so yeah, in in June twenty twenty one, I watched Bo Burnham's Inside, that uh, Netflix special. I thought it was really good, and and I I completely forgot that. I, I mean, I, it wouldn't have occurred to me that I watched it, and I can now think for a while. Oh, I really liked how he did this. I liked how he did the filming. I. Um, there was some stuff that he did with the cinematography of, of that Netflix. Like it's a one-man show and he's like in his house and he's like filming. And there were things that he did with that those limitations that I found really exciting and interesting. And that tells me that I care about cinematography. It's something that I'm interested in. I did not know this 30 seconds ago. And I, I like forgot it. It slipped my mind because it's not a part of my like cached self-image like in my self-image i don't think of myself as oh visa likes cameras you know in cinematography but by making notes of these things i'm like oh yeah i like camera stuff maybe you know maybe i should go and watch a youtube video about more camera stuff and and so i have like stuff for this for every month and so my, I, what i just described just demonstrates how like um 
I just made my life a little bit more interesting. You know what I mean? It's it's like I, I forgot that I enjoyed something and I can re- revisit it and and it's interesting because I I get all these details and I have like dozens of details like this, you know, story stuff. Uh I, I made a meme that I'm happy about. I this I have this friend, um, Sam, who's like a he he's great at helping people with like back pain and, and shoulder pain and stuff like that. He's like a physiotherapist and I introduced him to a bunch of people and that felt really, really good. I felt really good to be able to introduce my friends to someone who could help them with their pain. And that tells me something about myself. Like I love to help people and that's good to know. I'd be like, then I can ask myself, Ooh, how would I like to help people this year? You know, it's, it's all these little triggers, this little uh, like memory triggers. Right. And yeah, you know, just, just taking notes, once a month even of what happens what happened that you enjoyed and that you love uh you will surprise yourself like i mean I, like i just like I, I wrote a book about this and i still surprise myself because it's just our brains really condense our narrative to hi i'm visa i'm an author i tweet a lot you know that's about it you <laughs> know it just kind of re- really compresses it down to very small things because there are always all these things that we care about there's just just you know kind of adjacent like down the street from our sense of self right so it's really expanding a sense of self from like this little house to the whole city is is myself right it's just very you know i i and when i say the whole i'm thinking now of like spider-man i don't know if you played the video game but it's really fun to just swing through all the streets you feel you feel this this sense of of travel and and you know different perspectives and, and all those things and yeah, this the wild thing is all of this is you know it's accessible to everyone and uh it it's free. You know, you can do it by yourself. You don't need to pay anyone to do it for you. I mean, I'm so I, I'm a bit biased. I love to like self-teach myself everything. But yeah, you know, it's really you can I think uh, I have this friend Sasha who said something like anybody can just say something to you at any time and it might change your life. You know, like somebody might just say something. And similarly, like you can at any point kind of just do something different you can just go somewhere new and and when even though that doesn't get rid of all of life's stress and 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 obligations and responsibilities you know life life can feel like an ordeal i hear that from a lot of people like just feels such an ordeal that's true that's not going to go away but it can also be an adventure you know it's like there's two parts to it that's like the 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 fear that's also love right so there's it, sh- it should at least feel like it's about 50-50. You know, I-, I-, I have friends who say that you can really, wow, you can live your life such as like 98% love and 2% fear. Yeah, 50-50 is great for a lot of people if they can get there, right? Or, or just being able to, to, to kind of zoom in and zoom out and, and experience the states that you want to experience. And if you're struggling to have an experience that you want, you at least have the skill set and the know-how to know how to adjust and correct towards the direction that you want. No, that's really awesome. Um, I think wanted to wrap up as we're getting close to time, but you know, right. where can Visa, uh, Visa, where can people find you? Where can they find your book? Uh, so you can just Google me. My username everywhere is Visakan V, which is V-I-S-A-K-A-N-V. So you'll find my Twitter, on my Twitter, you'll find my Gumroad, you'll find my personal website. You can just click around and search, or you can you can search Visakan V book, or whatever, like you'll, you'll find my stuff everywhere. Perfect. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks again so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Appreciate it.